0: Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother,
1: Wesley. And today we're discussing a very special movie, Steven Spielberg's first French movie, Le Fablement. First French movie? Le Fablement. <laughs> I have problem.
0: It's like, it's like the Batmans. Do you say Fable Mans? Fable Mans. Yeah. Fablemans. Fablemans.
1: It's a fake made up name. Fablemans. It can be whatever it wants. Get it? They're Fable Men. They they he's he's a fa- Sammy Fable Man telling Fables.
0: Yep. I got it.
1: On the nose.
0: Produced by, directed by, written by, and about Steven Spielberg.
1: First screenwriting credit in over twenty years.
0: No kidding. Did he write it in the sense that he lived it?
1: Uh, No, he co-wrote the screenplay over COVID, over the the shutdown or whatever, with Tony Kushner.
0: I mean, I guess if you're going to divulge a generation's old family secret, you might as well just go wide with it.
1: Well, given that Spielberg is a pretty prolific director and has been around for decades, his parents were saying, Steve, when are you going to make that movie about us? Steve, you got to make that movie about us. And he's like, eh. And then his dad died uh, maybe four or five years ago. And then his mom died uh, a year before the pandemic. And he was like, all right, I'll make that movie now because it's a little bit disparaging.
0: Really? I thought they came out pretty squeaky clean. Really? As far as infidelity and somewhat messy divorces go right they seem to have it pretty together
1: i mean i definitely took sides in this movie and like other movies we've discussed i flip-flopped my loyalties definitely shifted throughout the course of the movie
0: like most recently in the banshees of Inisherin*. exactly so are you in camp mitzi or camp burt
1: I don't know that I officially landed in any camp. All I know is that Paul Dano, as is, which is the correct pronunciation, by the way, I learned.
0: What? Yeah. Not Paul Dano? Nope.
1: Paul Dano as Bert, his silence immediately kind of struck me. I was a little bit put off by it. Whereas Mitzi, the mom character, is definitely the dreamer. I called her Mommalee. Uh, <laughs> with, with equally terrible hair, like tornado proof hair. But I kind of grew to hate Paul Dano's character in this movie. He was so passive and like, well, your mother and I have had troubles and I want her to be happy. It was very Eli. Very Eli. Under the surface. And I hated his passivity and his just like, uh, there's got to be a Jewish word for him. Like, I mean, he's a smart guy and a tinkerer and stuff, but he was just so hen, like, not henpecked even. He was just so what's the word doormat well yeah but also the the word where you like don't mind like watching your wife get boned by other dudes cuckold cuckold that's what it is cuckold yeah
0: dictionary cuckold the husband of an unfaithful wife to make a cuckold of wow good word Wes
1: (laughs) (laughs) and he's so frustrated just take an active role in your life you douche and then Mitzi went off the rails and bone Seth Rogen, and you know, it's, off screen, yeah. But it's hard not to take Sammy's position where he feels the betrayal and starts to ignore her. And then her mom dies, which was like the realest scene in the movie, I think. And mm. like it actually made me feel for her, but it also began her spiral into madness. Like the, mm. the phone call mm-hmm. oh man. And I'm pretty sure she went nuts. And as she started to fall apart, I was like, this is kind of your own doing. Like, I get that you're a dreamer and stuff happens to you and you realize its significance and you can justify it by saying that you're flighty and arty and not grounded and you live your life on a whim or whatever. But also she was a mess. And that made me not like her. And thankfully, Benny, Uncle Benny, was out of the picture, uh, you know, after they moved. And so I couldn't hate him anymore.
0: How could you hate Seth Rogen?
1: Well, if he breaks your family up.
0: He's all goofy and, like, trying to buy Sammy's love.
1: Seth Rogen is kind of Seth Rogen, and he just changes beard length and hair length.
0: And, like, dials up or down Jewishness. (laughs) I mean, this is, I think, perhaps more than Steven Spielberg's autobiography. It's a a story of growing up Jewish in the 50s and 60s. Yeah,
1: hard road to hoe unless you're saved by the magic of your own filmmaking. Hmm. It made me wonder... The vast majority of Spielberg's movies that are commercial hits are very clearly centered around Christmas. Like he hasn't made a Hanukkah movie.
0: You're right. I wouldn't necessarily call Munich a Hanukkah movie <laughs> or Schindler's List a holiday movie.
1: What, right. I don't know. Maybe there's some commercialization in a, like a family style Spielberg director releasing movies at Christmas time. It's just the way it is. I don't know. Maybe he was converted by that girl in the bedroom.
0: Well, what, from what I understand, Hanukkah really isn't the highest of Jewish high holidays. It's just kind of become more part of public consciousness because it gets conflated with Christmas.
1: Hit us up at our hotline or email to let us know about Hanukkah and Jewish holidays.
0: <laughs> also, it's just the good. It's just a good time. Christmas is also conflated with award season and. Whether they're good or not, Spielberg's movies come out as awards contenders.
1: Prestige Pictures, at least, is the only way that you can angle The Fablemans. Because, boy, this movie came and went like nobody's business. The Fablemans is intensely personal, obviously, for Steven Spielberg. If you don't know and guess that this is based on his life or whatever, then I think you're missing like a key point of this movie. But he's in a little bit of a slump, and by a little bit, I mean a broad 20-year career slump. You know, he's got like a few peaks here and there, but nothing like Schindler's List, Jurassic Park-style fame, and, and everything Satan preceding Private that. Private Ryan. So he puts out his little personal movie at a modest Spielberg budget of $40 million and, and I think worldwide he got maybe $8 million back. back. I mean, just Spielberg's name alone should command more than that. So I don't know how justified he is in telling his big bad family story. It was, it was a little bit meandering. We're following Sammy a lot of the time, and, and I guess that makes sense. But if we weren't following Sammy as Spielberg and looking for the formative elements of his filmmaking career or his notoriety, you'd be like, this is meandering a little bit, right? It's not a given. There were some weird things because weird things happen in families. And the, the nail-cutting ambush scene I thought Mm. was one Mm -hmm. of the most awkward ever on film. Mm. And then we got to the Christian conversion sex scene. (laughs) And I decided that was the most awkward scene in film history.
0: Those stranger than fiction moments had to have been direct lifts from his real life, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The kid who played Sammy, along with Seth Rogen, because Spielberg was crying kind of a lot during the filming of this movie, apparently. And so the Sammy kid, the actor, would go to him and be like, hey, did this, you know, I want to get some motivation for the character. Did this really happen in your life? And Seth Rogen would be like, hey, Steve, this really happened? And 100% of the time, he'd say yes. And then the awkward dinner table scene happened, and I I decided that was the weirdest, most awkward scene in cinema history.
0: The one where the mother insists that Benny is not their uncle?
1: Oh, my goodness. Later
0: on, I was thinking, was there some kind of subtext of Benny as one of their dads?
1: Um, I'm not sure about specifically their dad, but it wasn't a surprise. I, but even I saw that coming. Like, I was, he's around an awful lot. So much so that they had to clarify, probably in that scene, that Benny was not actually a part of the family because he's there all the time.
0: It wasn't until after Mitzi makes her case for Bert bringing Benny along. Like, I was like, why is she so insistent that he help out his friend? And so until then, I didn't know. But then after that, it became pretty crystal clear. Yep. This had to have been cathartic for Spielberg. I guess I'm not surprised that he would be emotional throughout the filmmaking process. It does seem like he digs pretty deep. I was curious to know the man behind so many of my favorite cinematic moments. What are you going to do? I mean, he's 75 years old. In a way, it kind of felt a little swan songy for me. Like he was like saying, well, what story would I do I need to tell that I would kick myself if I did not That seems like end of career death movie Nell <laughs> to me.
1: Ironically, ending on the, the embarkation of his movie career where he's like skipping all It's a Wonderful Lifestyle through the studio backlot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Kind of going into this like blissful, inspired place of what cinema has meant to him. It just it feels very it portends like end times for for Spielberg. And I'm not sure if that's like a, a subconscious thing or what. It was a little sad.
1: He's the John Ford character, all battle worn and eye patched oh and gosh. get the hell out of my office.
0: <laughs> ah, David Lynch steals the whole show.
1: Obviously, because this so closely mirrors real life or his experience, Spielberg's experiences, do you know anything about the David Lynch uh, cameo and what it took to get him on board?
0: No, tell me. So
1: Laura Dern, David Lynch, not regular, but she's been in a few and obviously been in a few Spielberg movies herself and most notably Jurassic Park. He had to coerce Laura, Laura Dern to get her to coerce David Lynch and he was like, all right, I'll do it, but I got to get my outfit two weeks early so I can live in it and get feel at home or whatever. and and, and I, I need Cheetos on set at all times. So he had Cheetos brought in, and that's what it took to get him, but multiple calls over, you know, a long time to get him to agree. <laughs> and then after filming was done, he's like, may, may I take this what's left of the bag of Cheetos home with me? And they were like, sure, David Lynch, thank you for coming.
0: <laughs> wow, man likes his Cheetos. Yeah. I'm wondering, the, the Cheetos puffs or, like, the Flaming Hot? Come on. Do you know that you can buy Dorito dust? <laughs> and like put it on stuff. Like know you you can make Dorito dust for a fraction of the price probably? <laughs> I love me some Cheetos. I think if I ever have a, a talent writer, it'll be, I need a safari jacket two weeks in advance and <laughs> unlimited... Flaming Hot Cheetos. Right.
1: But if you're going to do that role or whatever, and he's going to be weird. And frankly, it took until reading the movie poster to know that it was John Ford. I get that he was a, you know, a, like a legendary Western director and John Wayne and the Searchers and all that good stuff. I have no notion of who John Ford is because he existed a million years ago. But if David Lynch had been like eating Cheetos while while uh, yelling at him <laughs> and had like orange finger dust, like orange fingers during the scenes, it wouldn't have been out of place for that character. Uh, But I was going to say that Cheetos, maybe not the best, maybe not the best snack to have on a film set.
0: No. It's like eating Nutella. No matter how careful you are, (laughs) (laughs) something is going to get marked. Oh,
1: man. David Lynch, not even the craziest character in this movie. Definitely Mitzi.
0: No? Rivaled by Mitzi? I mean, Mitzi, I don't know if Mitzi was crazy. I think Mitzi was just more of a clown. That was supposed to be charming and endearing, but it felt artificial to me.
1: Really? So her performance felt like it was a wrong note, or that's who Mitzi was, and that theatricality of an artist, I guess, is what she was? It was, I mean, because we've talked before about the different styles of filmmaking and uh, actresses in the, you know, 50s and 60s that Mom loves. It's a very different style of acting. There's, like, a wilting thing and, like, a strong and, like, Oh, Bruce or whatever, you know, and in a way she was emulating that. And I couldn't tell if it was awkward and out of place or remarkably spot on in a way. Like, don't get me wrong. The characters kind of bothered me because they were real people with real flaws and we saw all their flaws displayed on screen. But Michelle Williams, is, I believe, is extraordinary. And if that was the sort of vibe of a 50s housewife who was an artist, uh, kind of a failed concert pianist or whatever, and she's grand and she's dreamy and, and probably emulating a lot of the movies that she's seen, I don't know, to, to channel that in a way that Michelle Williams definitely would have had to research that and put that on, If it's a very specific style of acting, I thought was great she is the one of the best actresses of her generation with the worst hair consistently
0: <laughs> what's michelle williams best movie
1: um probably the one that spielberg saw her in that was uh, you know i mean she was great in brokeback mountain she was great in blue valentine specifically he saw that movie which is already probably 11 12 years old and saw her as the person to play his mother character in this movie that's been gestating for you know Decades.
0: I agree that there was a certain level of fifties affectation to her, to her role that brought a lot of authenticity to it. Michelle Williams' performance is more appropriate for Mitzi than perhaps Paul Dano's performances for Bert. But Bert is like a stereotypical, kind of detached scientist type, right? Who maybe doesn't have the same emotional depth capacity or frankly availability. He's a 50s, 60s dad that has all of that incredible pressure uh, pressure to support his family and also to succeed career wise. What I'm trying to say is that both Mitzi and Bert were presented so sympathetically that I kind of couldn't hate either of them
1: i didn't really love or embrace any of them like kids i completely like just disregard the kids in general and even sammy we're not really talking about nearly as much as the heavyweights who play his parents but so nice and real and family-like and kind of bland were his family that i i I forgot to hate julia butters (laughs)
0: uh I was you know, I was really happy that one of the sisters finally had their moment. I mean, they were basically just wallpaper up until then. Right. They were just I agree. Yeah, and just foils or um, supporting actors in Sammy's films. And so when Reggie Fableman finally gets her moment, I was like, Oh, who's that? <laughs> Wait a second. Of course you have to give Julia Butters her monologue and her and her time to cry.
1: Yeah. It was a sweet moment.
0: Um it was a sweet moment and it was an, it was an important moment for I think the kids to kind of come into their own for their for them to have a, a conversation on their own that didn't revolve around filmmaking or their parents. Yeah.
1: There, there was a de- decent balance of family stuff and the family, they were a real family. Like they were like together a lot and they were all up in each other's business. And it wasn't like, you know, go outside and be gone until the streetlights come on. But it was kind of like that. Like it was a balance of very much in the family dynamic. And we knew all the intricacies of the family life. And then we would go out and shoot the, the eight millimeter war films and stuff and be at school and all karate kid. And, Cobra Kai and stuff.
0: <laughs> Cobra Kai. This is the second re- second review in a row. Dude,
1: Karate Kid all the way down to the beach scene with the bit with the big blonde bully. Beach scene. Yeah.
0: Oh, at beach on at ditch day. Yeah,
1: it was a very Karate Kid thing.
0: But they seem like very hands-on, involved, and present parents. They're at all of his film screenings. They're at all of his film shoots. You know, they're having family dinners, and and maybe that's just a contextual thing because our parents weren't like that. But they seem very involved.
1: I mean, to clarify, mom had hearing difficulties and then dad later developed hearing difficulties. So there was a layer of removal to our like all in hands on family stuff. But they definitely came to our Millie Vanilli theater dance parties and stuff. And we're all on board. And we never wanted for being able to try different stuff or go different places and basically do whatever we did with wanted to do with them bankrolling us and they were present and Mitzi was present until she peaced out and like went home with uncle Benny
0: when all lost daughter and was like peace my children
1: right just like like somehow in a weird justification way well I'm an artist and that we do flighty stuff like that but they made sure to show what good parents they were even poor beleaguered Bert uh you know eventually he's like trying to dissuade him from you know a hundred dollars Sammy For a hobby, and then later he came around and was supportive or whatever. But Uncle Benny was also supportive, he's like, You're gonna break your mom's heart. Here's an expensive movie camera, go film. And you know how you can tell that Mitzi was a good mom? How she cooked eggs in a cast iron pan. That's like, Is that the right way to do it? That's domestic magic. Do you know how, like, non stick cast iron pans aren't? If you can cook an egg in a cast iron pan and not have it stick. You're magical.
0: But she was all struggling to get it out and all frustrated serving Still, it
1: worked. Just the balls to be able to do it lent to her heir as a a strong, willful mother.
0: Maybe it was like a highly seasoned cast iron skillet. It
1: would have to be, which only moms can pull off.
0: After like years and years of usage.
1: Exactly. Of dedication and care.
0: Bert didn't come around. In his last scene with Sammy, he's like, I should have put my foot down years ago
1: but he's he's still trying to connect emotionally and he's still present is what i'm saying he wasn't really never not present he just didn't he just was sort of hapless i think is the word with his grey slacks and and little skinny tie or whatever and it's just like come on dude and like be aware and he was more he was aware and and ultimately when it came down to it he was still still present uh, Spielberg apparently the dad took the brunt and blamed himself publicly to the family for the divorce and Spielberg and his dad were estranged so it's a difficult relationship Sammy and his dad they reconciled and even Bert and, and Mitzi in real life the real, the real people neither of whom were named Bert and or Mitzi, uh, became friends again. But Spielberg was estranged for his dad for like 15 years. Maybe not entirely, but they definitely had a strained relationship, which, uh, which they got over. But... The divorce, which I think Tony Kushner said that when Spielberg opened the floodgates, there was like six movies worth of stuff, but they knew that the divorce was going to, was going to be the centerpiece of this movie. So what to add from Spielberg's childhood around the divorce being the primary focus of the movie because it affected him so profoundly. You know, was intensely personal.
0: The divorce came very late in Sammy's life. He's only 16, what, 16 or 17 when he, when he basically uncovers the infidelity. I guess that's pretty young, but he's, he's nearly an adult when they divorce. And I wonder how that would affect, how that affects children, you know, versus when it happens when they're really young.
1: I'm going with young is better because it's like all traumas. You cry it out and you get get over it and you forget. Like, you know, a parent dies and it's like, when daddy coming home, he's not, no, daddy, I'm hungry, you know, and that's terrible and everything. But just psychologically, (laughs) you don't have the framework to be able to hang trauma and I think that this was a really bad time. I think that age is a really tough time because you're just kind of trying to find your footing as an adult. He's trying to decide what he wants to do with his life. The family dynamic uh, and that framework kind of helps him develop his own strengths and passions and and is a, you know something to fall back on. And then when the, your foundation is, is compromised, it messes with you. And his filmmaking, despite the fact that that's how he ultimately caught his mom, was also the thing that saved him that that made him have a new friend and all that junk and and saved him from getting his ass beat every day but it messed with his ability to follow his dream or whatever because everything that he had used as a springboard was in jeopardy was in question
0: meaning the filming or his well, family well his
1: family fell apart and he didn't want to make films anymore right it just it bleeds into everything or so i am told or i infer or glean having never been the kid of divorced parents.
0: Yeah, I mean I think a lot as a mom, how old is too young or how young is too young to know that your parents are people, right? This is a coming of age story where you learn where our main character learns that his parents are people who have real needs, needs that are separate and apart from his needs and the family's needs I mean, can you begrudge Mitzi for acknowledging her needs? I mean, isn't that Basically what the crazy uncle was saying to Sammy is that art's going to tear your family apart and it's going to become your obsession and nothing else will matter.
1: Uncle Boris, who appears like a a magician, drops knowledge and pieces out.
0: (laughs) He was literally like a a carny magician. (laughs)
1: Right? He just showed up and then he was gone. Uh, For Spielberg, figuring out that your parents are people, maybe in his mid-70s, but... uh, you know, he looks back on characters and sees who they were or whatever, and that's how it's represented here. Uh, which I think was the strength, if there is a, a real strength of the Fablemans is his ability to see his parents and all their quirks and dynamics as imperfect people, but interesting people nonetheless. I mean Mitzi, not Bert, because Bert was you know like a boring tool. And you go, boo, Mitzi, find yourself, be happy or whatever, go dancing away into the into the your uh, you know your marriage-breaking relationship. But she died, Leah Adler, uh, died taking. Uncle Benny's last name and had a restaurant in LA that's still open, and I guess found that happiness. Um, both interesting people, I suppose, in their own regards, just maybe not together, which is the unfortunate truth I hear of life sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, people talk about soulmates, people talk less about being chronically mismatched, and maybe that was their fate. I can't, um, what I can't wrap my head around is. What I take away from Bert, which is that love sometimes just isn't enough. Like it seemed like his approach with Mitzi, and now I'm just talking like love and relationship stuff. But it seemed like his approach was, if if I just keep loving her, it'll work out. And he, he didn't it did, it seemed like he never stopped loving her, and it's sad.
1: I mean, but it wasn't like it wasn't like things were happening to him either. He tried hard. He was just in a different frequency. You know, I. I I'm mean to him. Whenever I'm mean to him, he buys me a dress. It's like, ooh, like in a way that's sweet or whatever. And you're just kind of like, he's st- good old steady Bert, but I need more. I'm going to go take this dress and-, and seduce Uncle Benny with it.
0: Hmm, come on.
1: It's what happened.
0: Was, was Mitzi trying to tell Sammy that they never did it? Was that mom speak for we never had sex?
1: Yeah, that was a weird thing. Where you don't really like want to talk about your, you know, you talk about the birds and the bees and you tell your kids, but that doesn't mean you want to know about your parents' birds and or bees. <laughs> it's not a justification to a little kid. It's not like, oh, it's better because there was no penetration. It's like, it's has, not okay.
0: Has mom told you her deep, dark secret? Uh,
1: the one that you're going to air publicly on or whatever movies?
0: The one that she says she's going to take to her grave?
1: Uh, Probably not, but I don't know.
0: I'm assuming it has something to do. You're all scared. Look at you.
1: Yeah, because mom's deep, dark secret, based on the framing of this conversation, likely has to do with her vag. And I want nothing to do with that topic.
0: uh, I don't know,
1: but you're making it weird.
0: I'm just saying a a woman's heart is an ocean of secrets (sighs) and it's a and it's a little bit of an inappropriate burden to put that to put those secrets on your children
1: dudes aren't meant to know the ocean of secrets is there one though is there like a weird secret that you know that I don't maybe (sighs) so
0: is this Spielberg coming out
1: of his slump. I don't think, (laughs) not commercially, unfortunately, because look, his movies over the last 20 plus years have been, some of them have been good movies. It's just, you can't ride that crest forever. He's still trucking along and he's a legacy filmmaker and we all love him, even though we scorn some of his movies. This movie didn't make a dime. But I remember when we talked uh, about uh, David Fincher and Mank and how specifically Mank was a movie made for David Fincher. Yep, All the authenticity. Spielberg's set director got all the old Spielberg 8mm movies that he shot. He poured over them, dutifully recreated. Steven Spielberg said he the trippiest part was walking into his living room from 1954, recreated like, down to the lo- Nobody knows that stuff. This movie was made exactly for Steven Spielberg. Nobody remembers any of these characters except for maybe the sisters who are still alive or some of the people that knew the parents. Otherwise, who is like, oh, I'm not sure that that's how it happened in Steven Spielberg's life, aside from the fact that none of these characters are named for his actual family except, strangely, Uncle Benny. Uncle Benny is the only one who's Uncle Benny. But uh, beyond him just making a crazy personal movie just for him, it has to be entertaining and compelling and interesting in its own right because it's not Spielberg and it doesn't have anything to do with Spielberg's professional film career as faithfully as they recreated his escape to nowhere war film where you step on the stick with that's loaded with dirt on the other end and it looks like an explosion as you're running you know it did all that <laughs> stuff but it has to be a good family dynamic film that's interesting and in that way at least it was like I wasn't bored by the Fablemans it took Some weird turns as life tends to do, and some unexpected outcomes in terms of the school bullying angle. I thought they were just going to drop it. And then the resolve was interesting and not at all what I expected. So I was carried along in that way. It it definitely felt to me like a Steven Spielberg movie about a world uh, Jewishness time frame uh, life experience that I know nothing about, practically nothing about. Uh, But it was entertaining.
0: And an all right movie?
1: Yeah, an all right movie for sure. it was, it was like a filmmaking version of one of our, our you know, most auspicious or, or successful directors in history. And only Sp- Steven Spielberg could have made The Fablemans.
0: Right. And I don't begrudge him that. In a way, I feel like we can give Steven Spielberg this. The industry can give Steven Spielberg this. Audiences can give Steven Spielberg this for all he has given to us and to cinema. It's a little bit in self-service, but to your point, it's not alienating. It's a relatable story. And probably an important Jewish American story, and is uh, entertaining in its own kind of curious, very insular, limited kind of way. I'm happy for Steven Spielberg that he's written and directed basically this combo love letter to his, to cinema and to his family. I guess itched, itched this itch that needed to be <laughs> scratched <laughs> and can now move on. Uh, I'll join your all right with a good. And that's our discussion on The Fablemans, available in theaters and most likely coming to a streaming service near you. We've also discussed other spe- Steven Spielberg films, including Ready Player One, Jurassic Park, and Hook, all of which you can listen to at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. If there's another Steven Spielberg film that you'd like for us, your hosts, Cyrus and Wes, to discuss, please let us know, 818-835-0473. Or whatever movies at gmail.com at orwhatevermovies. We hope you enjoyed this review and we'll see you next time.
1: Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baclaan.
0: And I'm Eden Alpert.
1: And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast Unapologetically Fab.
0: Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it.
1: We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, And live in a life by your own design.
0: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
1: This is Unapologetically Fab.
0: An Electric Cast production.
1: See you there. Electric
0: Cast.
1: Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.
0: Cast.